You're listening to These Are The Days. Welcome to These Are The Days with me, Ronnie Costello. Thank you very much to everyone who listened to episode three. A very interesting look at the joy, in inverted commas, of online dating and everything that comes with it. So where people shouting me too while listening to it on the bus and then just snorting into their scarf, which is interesting. Uh, We had people just in utter shock of what it was. And, uh, oh yeah, my mum listened to it as well and said, well, that was an interesting listen. I did kind of give a bit of a disclaimer. Oh, and Emma even got asked on a date after it by one of our listeners. So just call me Scylla. Please do keep liking, retweeting, sharing the podcast. Uh, You can rate and review it as well on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are on social media. You can follow us at The Days Podcast. And we're online as well, www.thedayspodcast.com. These are the days. Episode four then. My guest this time is Jim Yolston. Uh, Jim was a captain in the British Army for over 20 years, which isn't a bad career given his teenage years were spent hating school, stealing bikes and having to put up with a house full of females at home. Uh, We look back at his army career, he's also my Uncle Jimmy, and this is the first time that I've also heard any of these stories. This is episode four of These Are The Days, a podcast from me, Ronnie Costello, from the Dales to War, my army journey with Jim Yorston. Follow the podcast on social media. We're at The Days Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Jim Yorston, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ronnie. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's uh, this is a wee bit different for us. Full disclosure, my uncle Jimmy. Uh, and another thing is, we're going to talk about a career in the military, which really, I don't know nothing about. Because, and you'll correct me here, I think we I was grown up probably too young when you were in, and by the time you were out of it, it was just, oh, Uncle Jimmy used to be in the military or in the army. Or, yeah, that's a fairly yeah? fair assessment, I think. Oh, good. Well, uh, at fair. least I got that right, which, which helps. <laughs> so we're going to take a look at the, the military, but it's more how you came in to get into the army. Obviously, the uh, it was all about from the Dales to the army is what we're looking at. So... For people that don't know, what was it like growing up in the Dales? Well, that's a very good question. I think, uh, I think, suffice to say, it was very happy times. Happy times with uh, good people, but tough times. You know, my uh, my parents separated when I was very young, probably about 11. So there's me, my mother, and three sisters, one of which, of course, is your mother. Um, and life was tough. You Just know, because was, you were the only boy? Or? I was the only boy, um, always picked on by three sisters, or certainly two sisters for sure. Uh, the other one was probably a little bit too young, but it was a tough old life. You know, there was no money. My mother worked full time as a as a cook in, a, in an old folks' home, and, and she really had to provide for us. And, and that that's a tough old ask for anybody. Um Set the scene for us then. When are we talking? What roughly what years are we talking? What kind of nineteen seventy four. Okay. Nineteen seventy four, you know, you've got the electricity strikes, you've got lights going off three times a week. Um, you're trying to find a way to make warmth in your house and bring light into your house. So we had to resolve to a few 
a few quite devious tactics. You know, I, I, I recall with an old pal of mine pinching the old uh, street lights. You know, they were kerosene or paraffin fueled, and we bring them in. I dump one of them in the centre of the living room. I thought it would be good fun until I woke up in the morning and I looked and I just saw this black ceiling, and my mother just, just, just aghast with herself. You know how. <laughs> What's happened to my house? And you got to remember, in in these early days back in in the Dales, it was a uh, the houses were stone built, um, stone floors, no double glazing. So in the winter months, you'd scrape the ice from the inside of the windows to see out, um, and that'll give you an indication. Life was life was tough, Ronnie. And what was uh, what was school life like as well then? Where well, did you, where did you guys go for school? <laughs> well, allegedly, I went to Curtin High School. Um, <laughs> I kind of I kind of started off for some reason. Um, I finished my primary school at uh, Hillside across in Mingus Hill. Uh, by that time, we'd sort of been fully engrossed into the Dells. So the catchment school for me was Rockwell. Well, I, <laughs> Rockwell was horrible for me because everybody in the Dales went to Curtin High. Mm. So I was a total outcast. So I used to mix with the guys going to St. John's Um and then on the way back, getting a battle with them on the bus because they wore a different tie colour to me. If we had bus money, because that was another big problem. Tuppence each way on the bus and sixpence for your lunch. That was it, tenpence a day. And my mother really had to stretch to give us that. So I, th I think just to move on quickly, off I went to, to Curtin High. I didn't get on too well with school, Ronnie, I've got to say. But, but that's that probably not unusual back then, though, because was it a case of, I mean, you'd have been, what, 15, 16, just thinking, what am I doing? What, what am I going to do? More yeah, I was 16, 1974, and I thought, I actually don't like this place. It's I, I felt that they weren't teaching me anything. So I took the big, bold step. I'm going to join up. And my mother was beside herself. Um, well, you're, you know, you'll no stick this army. This'll no, you'll never make it. You know, I'm no signing no papers. So what I'd done was I joined the Royal Navy and I lasted six months. What was out. that like? That was, for me, it was great because um, it got me away from that that insular. Was it just an escape? Was it just? For sure, Ronnie. Yeah. For sure, 100%. I got myself in a bit of trouble in uh, in West Curtain. Um the famous chip shop was always a good place for trouble any night of the week. Got myself involved there and the, the wonderful uh, sheriff sheriff court charged me with a breach of the peace. My mother had to accompany me as a 16-year-old. Um, she started fighting with the, uh, the, the people that were prosecuting me and that was quite embarrassing. Um, and me and an old pal of mine, we were told, do something, sort your life out or we'll do it for you. Hmm. So... I took the I took the plunge and I'll go and join up mm, just to get away. Just to much. get away. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had a lot of jobs as a as a sixteen year old. I sort of about nine jobs in a month. You know, it was un because it was easy to find work, lots of apprenticeships, lots of various things to do. But I had an elder sister who worked, which was a great help. She was always good for a couple of quid on a Friday. So that kind of took the edge off it, you know. But I, I guess the other sisters were also dibbing her for the same amount so so life was tough and then you get your my mother was looking for our board money and I thought well if she can't have anything left you know the poor girl so so I took the plunge and I went and joined the navy it really wasn't for me so I lasted six months and I came out um and then I was bumming around same same scenario came back again bumming around like a bum in West Girton 
So I decided that I'm going to go and join the army. And it's a funny story, this. I'm going to share it with you. I went into the careers office in Bank Street. It, the one that's still there? The still same, there. Okay. The same place. Same place. And a guy called Sergeant John Carling, Scots Guards, is the guy that enlisted me. And I walked in there with a good pal of mine, and I said, I want to join the army. He says, oh, do you now, son? What do you want to do? I said, I want to be a soldier. He says, what type of soldier? I says, well, what type of soldiers have you got? And the guy just looked at me and just burst out laughing. I said, well, I think I want to drive a truck. He says, well, you'll need to come back and do the tests. Have you got your school leaving certificates? I said, no, I don't have anything. Oh, he says, you're a bit of a no-hoper, but come back and see us next week. But I'm going to give you this very special book about the Royal Corps of Transport. He says, but it's the only one the careers officer's got, so please don't damage it and we'll come up and see you next week. I got on the 1A bus to go back to up to West Curtain and my pal threw the book out the window. Unbelievable. <laughs> I could not believe what he'd just done, you know. And he says, now this army, you're not for the army. So I thought no more about it until the guy, the same sergeant, came with his big hat and knocked at my mother's door and said, is that your book, son? Ronnie, I could honestly, I could have died. Um, <laughs> and you're what, 17? 16. 16. Still, okay. 16. 16. Still. I was too young to go as a boy soldier because you had to be 15 years and 11 months. So I had to wait till I was 16 years and nine months. Okay. So September 75, I was enlisted fully as a what they call the young soldier in an older shot. And that was, and then you, so you, you packed up, left got your stuff together, you probably got the same chat from, well, Grant and me, saying, that's it, you'll, you'll never last, and off off you went. That's it, you've made your bed now, son, and uh, <laughs> so much so, I came on, I remember, I recall coming on leave one year, and I went to the house in the Dales, and she'd moved, and I never knew. <laughs> um, you know, my mother, mother and three sisters are up sticks, and moved to Ardler, and there's me banging on the door in West Curtain, trying to get in this house. Um <laughs> The army was fantastic, Ronnie. I mean, I cannot, I can't emphasise that enough for any kid, not from a broken home, but from a, a, a dysfunctional home, I would call it, you know, where we all kind of mucked in, we'd done our best, we'd done our best to keep our mother right, I'd done my best to keep three sisters right, which, were, which was tough, you know. Um, your father was knocking around at that time, so yeah, so I knew, your, I knew your dad, he was yeah. a bit younger than me, of course I knew your dad, Um but the army kind of, for me, once once I got in it, yeah. this is the way I viewed it. I've got a bed that's mine. <laughs> I've got no chance of a sister nicking in or pinching my quilt or my blanket. <laughs> so it's my bed. I've got my own wardrobe. I had nothing to put in it. I mean, I turned up an older shot as a young recruit, probably with a pair of jeans, a T-shirt and a pair of shoes. Maybe some underwear and stuff, but I had no, no real gear, you know what I mean? Um, but it was mine. Uh, and then to get put into this bed space with 16 other guys, I thought, interesting. You know, And that the first time you'd ever been around any of that, just dormitories, that kind of thing? And Yeah, this was proper for me. You know, this was this was real from the minute I walked in the gate. I get this man with a big stick chasing and shouting at me. And I think, what's all this about, you know? Um, and, and, you know and it was strange. But once, once you become institutionalised, because that's what the military does to you. It, it kind of changed my outlook on a lot of things. Um, I was able to support my mum a little bit. My, my salary, my wages when I was a young soldier were £8.64 a week. Uh, 
And out of that money, I had to make an allocation of two quid to my mother. So she got an £8 an allotment book, um, which we had to do because I was under 17. Mm. So we had to do that. Um, but that kind of left you with 20-odd quid, which was just for me, Ronnie, you know? And you had nothing to pay, no bills, no No bills, anything. three meals a day, got as fit as a butcher's dog, you know? I could run I could run like a lunatic, you know, because it just, it just inspired you just to do well. And I cottoned on very quickly. If you're a fairly get-up-and-go sort of guy and you keep your mouth shut, which was always a problem for me, that I think you advance quite quickly. Um, what was it like then for the first... You know, the first month or the first few months, first six months, what, you know, and obviously it's, it's, I imagine it's slightly different now, but you'd have got old school yeah. beliefs, treatment and stuff. My intake NCO was an, was a national serviceman. So he'd been in for 20 odd years. So I went in 74, 75. So he was there in 52, 53. So he's an old timer at the end of his life. And they put him to the hour depot to teach young imbeciles, adolescent children, into becoming men. And that's tough. You know, Roy, they've got to teach you how to shave. They've got to teach you how to make your bed, teach you how to wash your clothes. Teach you how to iron them, teach you how to present yourself, all that kind of thing. All that nonsense, you know, personal hygiene. For a lot of people, it's a tough one. People don't know how to wash their feet or... They just don't understand how to do it. So the army instills that in you very, very quickly. And if you fell by the wayside... The punishment was horrific, mm. uh, which they wouldn't get away with nowadays. No, um, and and in there with the sixteen of you, would you all been same age, or was it been different people? Just an intake? Yeah, we were part. Of, I, my intake was very big. I was intake four seven six, I think. That was my intake number. Uh, there was thirty eight of us started off. Um, thirty one of us passed out, so we lost seven along the way. Guys that you know just can't cope homesickness and the age group was probably my age to 23 24 which is a big jump between 16 and 24 it's you a- don't realize at the time ronnie but it's horrific actually because yeah. these guys could go for a pint well, <laughs> yeah, yeah we couldn't go um although we did go but yeah. we couldn't go you know when you see pass out how, how long did you have to be in then till you can do um, that stage of it you do you do 20 21 weeks basic training. Okay. So that's learning how to do left, right, left, right, so left, right. About five months worth at least. Yeah, then- you've got you've got 12 hard weeks of that nonsense, um, which I loved. Um, it became a great passion of mine, foot troll. And, and, and appearance in Bairnwell, being a small guy, it was always difficult to, to shine because... To be to be heard, you have to be loud. You know, my sister refers to me now as boomer, and and I think that's come from the military because you're so small and you've got to be heard in a big crowd of people. Mm. So after you get out of that nonsense and they're constantly testing you, you know, does this guy understand his right from his left? You know, this is a soldier's right, not not a civilian right. You know, because because people get it so wrong, Ronnie, and the fear of getting it wrong makes people petrified. Did at any point in the twenty one weeks you think I'm done? No, never. Never? If anything, I think the good thing for me was I lived so far away because me to get back to, as I thought was going to be West Curtin, but it was actually Ardler, <laughs> um, that was probably in them days a 13-hour train, jo- train journey, you know, because the military never done anything easy. So you're in Aldershot, the simplest way to get to Dundee is via London. Uh-uh, they put you via Oxford, Banbury, Birmingham, just, just to 
just to make you more upset. Mm. And it was all about character building. That's what they called it. Uh, I never felt, Ronnie, that, no, this is not for me. Um, Would you, if, again, we, we just, again, you hear stories and you, you see, I know, like, films, TV is really fictionalised with it, but every single time you see training or anything, it just looks horrific. And just, I mean, was it just bite downing? And <laughs> um, I, I need to get through this day. I need to get through the week. I need to get through the month. Yeah, a couple of a couple of things worried me because, of course, when you turn up as a young recruit, you hear stories from the old soldiers that have been in six weeks, you know, and they sit and look at us and funny look at these nigs. That's what we refer to as, you know, look at these nigs. You know, they don't know what's coming. So I went and asked this guy, well, what's coming? He says, well, you've got to go and you've got to, you know, you've got to run for ten miles with a full kit on your back and. I thought, well, that's fairly easy. Um, and then, you, you know, you don't sleep for 24 hours. You then put you out in the moors. You've got to find your way back. And I thought, oh, interesting. Um, but no, nothing nothing phased me. Well, then, I mean, like you're saying, when you go from that, the upbringing is really tough. Exactly. It's going to take a lot. And, and I think the good thing, Ronnie, was that everybody in my intake was from a similar type background. You know, there was a few Silver Spoon boys that, Dad had been in the army or stuff like that? Or? Dad had been in the army. Dad had encouraged, you know, Benjamin to become a soldier. Um, he told Benjamin that he had connections, he'd get commissioned, he'd become an officer and all this sort of good stuff. Mm. So I think, yeah, you had a few of them, exceptions. But the rest of us, you know, if you think about it, Ronnie, everybody from a scattering of the United Kingdom, you know, as far north as Inverness, as far south as Plymouth, Take points east and west. We all ended up in Aldershot in this sixteen-man room. Unbelievable, really. And your twenty-one weeks. What was kind of what, what was some of the kind of real worst times or the hardest things that you you did have to do as part of selection type thing? They used to put us on. Uh, we used to do this guard duty, and you used to do it every sort of two or three weeks. And you done. It was bizarre, actually. Um, young soldiers, you had a uniform. We probably didn't know how to wear it properly. Um, and they used to put you on this guard duty and they used to make you walk around the perimeter fence of Buller Barracks and Aldershot, which sadly is gone now, uh, carrying a pick elf. And I used to think to myself, what am I going to do with this pick elf? If somebody comes to break into this camp, I mean, what am I going to do, throw at them? And that used to make me laugh to myself. Um, I got caught sleeping a couple of times on guard and, and ended up with a, a little holiday in the corner shop, as we called the guard room, you know, two or three days of... Uh, just a quick reminder where I was and I couldn't fall asleep, which was good, um, which came to help me considerably as my career progressed because, you you know, you get you know every trick, Ronnie. Um, so you learn the tricks quite well. I, I was never a fan of this endurance-type running. Was all, I always found it really tough, really tough. And it was hard, you know, you <laughs> to turn up with a, you know... The only run I'd done in West Curtin was from the police running. <laughs> yeah, well. And now I find myself running with a bunch of guys who, who one day were going to be stood next to me on the battlefield, if that was the case. Uh, and, and you know, I used to worry that maybe my biggest fear was that I wouldn't be able to be as good as them. That was my biggest fear. And then from, so from there, after you pass out, at what point then do you... Or what happens then? Do you get an opportunity to stay on, or do you? Is, could you leave? Can you? What's presented to everyone that well, because, gets there? Because I'm a young soldier, the the option to me is at the end of basic training, I had a number of options. You either uh, pack your kit and go, and you become and you pay twenty quid. Your mother signs the paper, and out you go. You pass out. You've done the training. You've done the you're training. Done. You're off. I thought, no, I'm not doing that. 
uh, I elected to go down there. I want to drive a truck. So I'm I'm just about 17 uh, by this time. So I finished all my basic training and I see these guys coming out the, the regiment across the road from me, which was the 12 driver train regiment, driving these big trucks. I thought, I want to go at that. As a 17-year-old, I want to do that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I had a class in HGV Class 3 licence on my 17th, practically my 17th birthday because we got taught in the nursery beforehand. So so that's me now, a fully-fledged driver. They called it a TSA, so I was trained soldier available for posting. So I'd done all my ammunition checks, my rifle ranges and all that sort of good stuff. Then I'd done my driving, so I'm ready to join a field force unit as a as a driver, if you like. Um so after you've done that, are you, do you, is it time off or do you then just go right into being in the British Army, that's the day-to-day of you as a driver and then what happens? Yeah, we, we got three weeks leave, which was great. We all, um, I don't know if you remember, during the time there was a lot of trouble in Northern Ireland and the IRA were very active in the United Kingdom and taking pops at squaddies and they blew a couple of pubs up. Guildford as one you may have heard in the news recently because it's just been rekindled. Um, so you go on 21 days leave. Well, you've got a few quid in your pocket. Because you've saved it. I've saved 20 it. 20 quid or whatever it was. Whatever, time, plus yeah. you got your credit money because they, they kept money back in a little bank for you. <laughs> I remember getting 109 quid was what I signed for in my civvy clothes because I didn't have civvies, Ronnie, for nine weeks to take them off you and I didn't have nothing. And when I went to put the jeans on that I went in with, well, they just fell off me because I'd lost so much weight. Mm. And I it wasn't a particularly fat in them days, but... And it's 109 quid, which oof, is good money then. <laughs> a lot of money. And and we got a railway warrant via London and my pal who lived in Carden then, um, him and I, we got into London. I was 17 a bit then. Found a bar, few beers, and I remember buying the carry out McEwen's export for the train or McEwen's special, whatever it was, on Newcastle Brown, and you know just traveling all. It was just wonderful. I mm. thought this is great. Um, back to Dundee, I got you know I can't remember what I done um, during that time, but you know I, I was actually eager to get back and quite keen then to get away back to join my unit. Um, and then you head back down, and that's you into your new post new role and yeah but it kind of changed for me a little bit um because you had to go to school when you were in when during that that assessment that introduction period that 10 12 week period and i'd scored quite well on the educational stuff i don't know why ronnie because i was self-taught obviously i went to primary school and i did go to secondary but not a lot but they said to me no you're you've got a better aptitude than that of a driver so why don't you take some additional testing? So I went and done some additional testing. And they said, you can I, you could become an, a navigator in the Royal Corps of Transport. What does that mean? Well, we've got hovercraft, we've got landing craft. And they really sold me this big picture. So I said, I'll go there. So the next day I was on a train away to Gosport. Um, I got stuck on a navigational type, seaman type course to learn how to drive a boat and tie a knot and all this sort of good stuff. Then I found myself, Ronnie, on a 1941 landing craft. <clears throat> Which is essentially looking back to your Navy that you never got into. The Navy I never got into, <laughs> and I find myself back in it now on a World War II landing craft that was probably 20 inches thicker with all the paint on it. Every Friday night, every Thursday, we sailed from... Uh, Gosport to Antwerp, 
arrived there two days later, and then done the same trip back again. You got off for a day, and you'd done that continually, Ronnie, for seven and eight months at a time. What, just for training? No, 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 well, we're actually resupplying right, the British okay. Army in Germany, so we were taking all these containers. You think about it now, I mean, the common sense that that prevailed was zero. You know, you could put on an aeroplane for cheaper than what it cost. 32 guys on a boat living like uh, living like animals at the back end of this landing craft, you know, mm. and it was just horrific. But, again, fantastic times. Great bunch of guys. I'm still very friendly with these guys to this day. Sadly, a lot of them have passed on now, but we're talking about real characters here, you know. They were, you know, they were the soldier sailors, you know. They had something different, they believed, and they were very unique in my core. But I, I got a bit sick of it. <laughs> yeah, was it just the constant same old, same old? Did you you just thought I need I need this either needs to get better or I need to do something else? Ronnie, I thought it was better than that, and mm. if I'm being brutally honest, and I, uh, it just uh, seems quite monotonous. Just uh, it doesn't seem. Believe you me, <laughs> it was horrific. Um, and you know, as a young, I'm then an eighteen year old. Alcohol is a big thing then, and alcohol was a big thing on these boats. Um, and when we weren't sailing, boy, oh boy, you know, you still they still gave you the, the you know the nip of the pusser's rum, which was the captain's special bottle that they broke out as soon as you came into duty-free waters, which was constantly for us. So, you know, alcohol, I became a bit of a probably an 18, 19-year-old alcoholic if, mm. if, if, when I look back on it. Just- Purely because of the regularity of, of... The regularity, and again, Ronnie, I'm mixing with guys finishing off national service, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, you're a young guy, you're a novelty. Uh, me and another good pal of mine, we went together to this. Um, he lasted a bit longer than me at it, but he also saw the exit route. I mean, mm-hmm. I kept seeing a tunnel. The problem was there was a train coming down. I was ready to hit me. So I moved on from that um, and moved back into my trade in the Corps. Um, found myself, I then got a very interesting job working with the Royal Air Force uh, in Gutterslaw. And they, they deployed the two Harrier squadrons there. And I became what they called the um, the, ground, the ground liaison officer's assistant. So I, I don't know how I got there. I don't know why I got it. I'm now a Lance Corporal, one tape on my arm, thought it was wonderful. Um, and still young. And still young. I'm probably 19 now. Um, so in a couple of years, I've got a stripe and I think, Hey, this is okay. Um, I didn't talk about the boring stuff about when I went absent and hiding in my mother's attic and stuff. And they came <laughs> and got me, uh, and they put me into Bell street and said, you've got to get yourself back to Aldershot. And I said to the guy, look, if you let me out now, I'll go on Monday and I never went near the place, <laughs> you know, cause it's boring, monotonous stuff, but it's part of my life. Yeah. And it's, it's part of growing up. And, when I found myself out in Germany with this huge responsibility, I said to this major who I was working for, a guy a, a guy called um, Lance Brook, sadly he's passed away, and I said to him, excuse me, sir, what are we actually doing here? He says, Corporal Yorsen, what we're doing is this. We're going to locate the targets for these Harriers to come in here at 150 feet above sea level, and they're going to blast these fictitious targets off the map. I said, really, sir? He said, watch this. And he got on the radio, he called in this Harrier pilot, and this, this Harrier pilot came round the corner. I'm not joking, Ronnie, that's a sight. A sight I can only keep in my memory for the rest of my life. I could wave at that, this young fighter pilot coming across me. That's how low these guys were, you know. And I spent three very happy years there. 
took me on active service into Sardinia um, in Italy. Uh, I went to Belize when we were fighting, when we had a bit of a conflict with the Guatemalan government. Uh, we, we put a couple of Harriers there just to remind the Guatemalans, if you want to move a bit too far, well, we're sat waiting on you. Um, where else did I go with these guys? Norway, Denmark. Uh, I was very lucky. I, I got very, very friendly with a, with a Harrier pilot who, who sadly is no longer with us, but he became a great friend and confidant of mine. We were similar age. He was maybe three years old, a couple of years older than me, but he was a university graduate, Top Gun pilot, you know, went on to lead the Red Arrows. That was his way his career progressed. And he became a great pal of mine. So I was quite often found myself sat in the back seat of his Harrier GR4 wherever we went. It was quite, quite funny, really. Being an army guy sat in the back of an RAF jet was quite comical. Yeah, I mean, even there, for a, guy, for a guy that went to the Navy and never got in, has now partly been in the Air Force. Yeah, I the mean... Worked with the Navy. Well, well this is... <laughs> and this was this was so bizarre for me. I kind of dodged... At this point, I dodged the big, what we call the Army Field Force units. And I actually thought I was on a bit of a... bit of a busman's holiday. I thought, I've gone to the Army element of the Navy, the Navy element of the Army... I went and complained I didn't really like it too much, and I ended up with the RAF out in Gooderslaw, which was fantastic. And of course, I've got a I've got a young wife and two kids by now. Um, life was good, Ronnie. You know, I spent a lot of time away though, because they were always training for the you know for the unexpected. And of course, during that time, we were right in the middle of the Cold War, so Mister Putin's gang were never. It was probably wasn't Putin. It was. Uh, the guy with a very bad, I can't remember. But we were in serious conflict, and that's the reason that we had so many soldiers based in Germany and, and the Royal Navy, and a, a Royal Air Force presence, quite, quite. So how old are you around about this time then? I'm about 20 now. Okay, and you're in Germany. And in Germany. there for a while. Yeah, I've been there now since I was, uh, yeah, I went 18, so I'm probably 21 now. And, and is this, in barracks, is this um, kind of what's life like? kind of living out there and how was it different from well I was lucky because I because I got married very young I had a, I had a wife and two kids so we lived off off base so we had a we had a what they called an army hiring which was a bit like a, a barrack room but it was bigger um, but it was run in very much the same way so if it wasn't clean they could come and do a snap inspection at any time and then kick you out that sort of stuff and again it just it just trains the mind Ronnie you know and you know my two kids were growing up there uh, both uh, Darn, uh, my son Darren was born in Germany uh, my daughter born in Portsmouth so my son uh, he, all he knew was the forces life but to be fair my daughter was the same so after three wonderful years with the Royal Air Force, then the, the wake-up call came. Um, boss called me in, ah, Copley Orson, you're posted. Where am I going to, sir? You're going to one arm, two armoured division transport regiment. I said, thank you very much indeed, <laughs> because you've got to go there. Um, okay. I, I'd escaped it. Um, I'd escaped it for probably this time now. I'm trying to think, actually. Just let me just recap my memory. No, no, take your time. Six years, 81. Yeah, I'd escaped it for six years. So now six years, I'm now a full corporal, two tapes. Um, I find myself a very young full corporal on posting. How did it feel getting getting the tape? Fantastic. Is that, and going from someone that just said, Fantastic in the Dales, I'm going to the army. I mean, I'm assuming you thought, I'll go to the army and just be a soldier. 
Exactly. Whereas now you've got two tapes at 28. I'm 21. Uh, I've got two tapes on my arm. I've I've got a little bit of authority. So I'm now a section commander. You know, I get three or four guys under me. I'm really jacked the lad now. And you're in this new... But I'm now moved lock, stock and barrel into this... uh, Armoured Divisional Transport Regiment. And what we done done in that regiment was, in the event of Cold War, in the event of war, invasion from the East, so East Germany, Russia, all these sort of, Poland, all these sort of countries as it was then. I know you all now go there on holiday and enjoy life there, but in them days, they were a big, a big threat to, to our own security. Um, so we used to practice fighting against them all the time. So I never spent any time in barracks. I was always out in the field digging a hole, hopping into a shell scrape and standing freezing on it, thinking, what am I doing here? Then I got very, I got a little bit dis, a little bit unhappy with the situation. Then I thought to myself, but you've escaped it for six years, Jim, so just get on with it. Was it inevitable you would do that? Yes. It would, it would happen. It was, Definitely. Yeah. And Definitely. it just, it took you six years. It took to... me six years. <laughs> of course, when I get there, all my all my chums and all my buddies are there and uh, about, about time you got here, you know. Where have you been? <laughs> we heard you'd left. Well, pr- practically, I've been with the RAF, you know. It was very, very funny. But life came very, very quickly there for me. And I, uh, I, I guess, Ronnie, I, you know, you got to remember, every time you get promoted, that brings more money. So in them days, when we had a Deutschmark in Germany, just say that the pound was converting at four to the pound, the army had what they called a fixed forces rate. In my days, it was seven to the pound. And I think the market rate was probably five. So for every pound, you gained two marks. And they paid you extra money for living in Germany. So I became quite rich in my own little mind, in my little world. You know, we had everything. We had a colour television. I'd never saw a colour television, really. We had a hi-fi system, you know. Uh, the kids had bikes. Hello. I never heard of... Well, I did have a bike, but it probably wasn't mine. Um, <laughs> it definitely wasn't yours. <laughs> well, my sister had an orange chopper, she keeps reminding me. I don't remember that, but uh, maybe we need to task her on that question. Um, so, so Are you still becomes, in Germany at this still point? Still in Germany. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in Germany. It's now 1981. Living off, got a bit of money. A bit of money. I got a nice car um, that I'm paying up, of course. Finance was very easy to get. And in, in, in Germany, you walk into the bank, walk out with a 20,000 Deutschmark loan. It was so easy uh, because you were a squaddy. And we were referred to as the squaddies of the Rhine. Because was it then? Because this is just, I mean, it's just before I was even born. That's how far back we're going. Did you see or was Germany going to be the immediate future for years to come? There was no pl- no there was no chance of going anywhere else. There was no chance of it stopping or anything. Well, the only the only guaranteed uh, chance we're going to get out of Germany was going to be Northern Ireland, and that's that came to me. I was quite lucky. My first tour was in nineteen eighty one, I think. No, I tell a lie. I went seventy nine. On the emergency tour during one of the one during one of the strikes in support of the Black Watch, I think. Um, but my first tour with my new armoured regiment, um, I was assigned to Thirty Three Squadron. You're a Facebook user, Ronnie. I know you are. I know you follow me around on there. Yeah. I'm very active in these web in the, in these chats, you know, because they are still my friends to this day. So I find myself on the back of a Hercules, just left my wife, two young kiddies. 
I'm now in Northern Ireland, I think. Wow. But, and and they're very, very good. You know, the training that we used to undergo before we went was very thorough. You used to spend four weeks living in, in, in a, a, a built-up city that we made in Senelagar called Tin City. And it was like Northern Ireland. Mm. But in them days, Ronnie, and you probably won't remember this, Northern Ireland was a dangerous place to be. Um, more dangerous because we never knew who the enemy was. That was the problem because we all looked the same. Um, so, I mean, for that then, so it's G- Germany's kind of going. So did you, was that just a role you carried out for a few years to change again? Or, you know, because let's like, say we're going back early 80s. Yeah, we're in the 80s know. now. Um, yeah, so the Northern Ireland tours came thick and fast. Okay. Uh, from from that, that particular regiment I was with. Um, then I uh, became a sergeant in the same regiment uh, in 33 Squadron. And, and again, uh, there you go, going back to that, getting the first, getting the second. So sergeant to the next sergeant, step for you. That, that puts me into a different life. That that lifts me away from those that taught me. I'm now above them. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got a very funny story I'm going to tell you. You remember I told you this guy that uh, signed me up at the careers office. What was his name, do you remember? Oh, no, it's... <laughs> Well, I was on exercise with my squadron in Germany and uh, we were doing a thing called an IRG, which was an infantry replenishment uh, point. And we used to take ammunition forward to these these areas and the infantry, uh, to which the Scots Guards are, they would take our ammunition, put in their guns and they'd fire and we'd go off back to the depot and that's kind of what we'd done for this continual time. And I found myself one night as a sergeant, as a watchkeeper in this uh, this tent at the side of this, uh, this middle of this field um, as a sergeant. So I've got a couple of guys running about, you want a cup of tea, sergeant, all that sort of stuff. It was great. And uh, in walks the famous sergeant that uh, enlisted me into the British Army. And he uh, he looked at me and said, I do not believe it. Oh, I said, how are you doing? He said, I enlisted you in Dundee a few years ago, didn't I? I said, well, a few years ago, it's about seven or eight now. Yeah, I said, and I looked, I said, you still a sergeant? He says, I, he said, I'm not a career soldier like you, son. And I just burst out laughing, you know. To this day, Ronnie, I still speak to that guy, he's 72 now. Yeah. Um, so that was funny, you know. To, to go from being signed into a sergeant six, seven, eight years. That's, yeah, I was very early. It's pretty quick progression, no? Yeah, I was Still on in your twenties. Yeah, I was on what they call the um, the uh, the accelerated promotion scheme. Uh, why to this day I don't know. I took these exams I told you about in basic training, and and I done very well with what what they called your specialist, your SPGR. I'm not sure what it meant, but it gave you an IQ level, and mine was relatively high. Um, and then from Northern Ireland, from uh, from Germany, I found myself with a post order in my hand. You're off to Hong Kong, son. Um, <laughs> and that's a whole new adventure. A whole new adventure. And this is to the other side of the universe, you know. And off I went to Hong Kong, wife and two kids in tow. Um, and this is uh, kind of how, how long have you been in now then? Uh, this is 1984 now we're going. Okay. So I joined 75, so nine years in. Okay. So I'm becoming, becoming a little bit of an old sweat and I'm a sergeant. Um, but the thing is, you're still under 30. I'm under 30, Ronnie, and... Have you got any plan at this point of, in five years, I'm done, or ten, or will you, I'll be the army for life? No, my, my plan was to get to the 12-year point. Uh, they used to give you a resettlement grant, so they gave you five grand and a preserved pension when you were 60. 
And I thought, well, I'll, that's young enough to go and find a job out in the civilian world, so that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Got into Hong Kong, worked for a, a cracking commanding officer who to this day is a great pal of mine. Um, we, we hit it off. He was a good guy. I got very, very fit there. I ran the marathon. I, I took part in every type of adventure training because in that regiment, Ronnie, this is where it gets funny, all the sailors that I met from 75 are all there. Because we ran all these boats around Hong Kong. This is before it was handed back to the Chinese. So three years, fantastic in Hong Kong. I saw a lot of things in Hong Kong. I'd done a lot of travel. I went to Korea as part of the Korean Honor Guard. I I went to Borneo. I went to um, Brunei. Uh, I mean, these places have been quite dangerous places to yes. be back then, yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, they used to say, we're sending you there for uh, character building and character assessment. And it's the same old thing, you know. I mean, you know, they want they want to put you in a situation where there's 20 deadly snakes and a crocodile to see how you react. I'd never quite got that. But, you know, and it was all a bit of a game to people watching you doing it. Um, what was Hong Kong like? As fantastic, a, Ronnie. Kind of working oh. and just in general life. Ronnie, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I've not been back officially since. Uh, Any reason that you just never... No. Good memories that you've... you've good memories, um, fantastic social life. I was as fit as a butcher's dog there. I... We had a great living, a great standard of living. We had a we had a living maid in our house who, who done for everything. So were you again, kind of off barrack yeah. again? Yeah, there's no nobody lives in barracks in Hong Kong. Okay. You're all you're all in these big high rise flats. But we were in a in a particularly nice area, now used by the uh, the Hong Kong government or the Chinese government. I've got all the diplomats in there now, so that'll let you see how good it was. And and we spent. Wonderful. I was very, very lucky. Three years, but I'm now becoming disillusioned, Ronnie, because for two years before I went to Hong Kong, I'm a sergeant. Mm. Three years into it, and I'm still a sergeant. And at that time, how much time have you been back home? Or was the army home? You'd never been... My time in the United Kingdom was very remote. Okay. It was, it was very limited. Same for the family? And yeah, we, ne we never came back. I was very, very lucky. My mother... Um, my mother and your granddad, they came out to see me. Uh, yeah, they always used to tell me that. <laughs> they came for a month. Um, them in typical Dundonian fashion, they booked the cheapest deal. They flew from Edinburgh to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Karachi in Pakistan, Karachi to Manila in the Philippines and Manila to Hong Kong because Granda said it was the cheapest deal we could get. Oh, God rest that man's soul. <laughs> How long you been on the road for, Stuart? Ah, about, ah, no, about 32 hours. <laughs> but you know what? They had a month oh, with me, Ronnie. And every time you said it with a smile as well. Ronnie, they'd, oh. they had a month with me and it was fantastic. Mm. And we, I took them to places that they, they would never have got into or gone to, yeah. you know? I mean, we went to wonderful sites. I took them up to the border with China. I spent a lot of time up there on observation posts. That was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a fantastic tour for us. Yeah, and how how, how did, at the time, how what was family life out there? Because it's a foreign country, you're yep. obviously working. Yep. You know, how how did they find it? Or or is it just something they adjusted to because they were already in Germany, that kind of thing? Well, at the time, I mean, both in primary school now. Um, Darren was a bit of a gangster then. He was a young guy. Uh the two of them swam like fishes. They, they, you know, they could swim ten kilometers each of them. That was their life there. They trained six days a week in the swimming pool. 
because there was not a lot more to do. Mm. School life for them was good. Uh, they were just being like an English school. Yeah, yeah. A, a military school. Um, and at weekends, we would uh, take off in a junk someplace. My connections with the old maritime part of the army were great for me. You mm. know, I joined them on their trips to the barbecues. Yeah. It was fantastic. Because I think, you know, saying that at the start, you know, and the, the big thing for me when this kind of the idea had come up and you'd said, I'm quite happy to come on, I'd like to speak about it. Yeah. But yeah, no bother. And the kind of disclosure is, I don't know much about your career. No, you don't. You're hearing Pure, it all now. Purely because it, it's, I was so young. Yeah, yeah. So when you're growing up, you don't notice it. Because yeah, yeah. if we're going, so you're getting disillusioned now, it must be 80, what, about 85, 86 possibly? 87. So I'm I'm five years old. Yeah, you know, I mean? you know you're five years old. I mean, I, obviously I, I was aware of you. I knew who yeah. you were. Um, and then you, but then to, to put it in, your kids are then, if I'm five, they're nine and 11? Yeah, probably. Okay. And then, I, but, and now you're slightly disillusioned with. Yeah, I'm I still mean, a sergeant. What's going on? I'm still a sergeant, but I'm still young, mm. and and I went in front of the seal. So and are, I, you, are you thirty at this point? Um, I'm or, trying. I'm trying to remember, Ronnie. Actually, I I for eighty seven. Uh, I'm five years old. Eighty seven. I'm born in fifty eight. So eighty seven. What is that? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. But I'd been a sergeant five years, and that was unheard of in mm. my in my my stream. So I went and saw the seal, and I said to him, "Sir." Why am I still a sergeant? He says, that's a bloody good question. I don't, I have no idea. He said, your reports are right. Everything's right. You're a fit guy. You're a good soldier. You're a, you're a fantastic member of the sergeant's mess. You take full, you're fully active in activities and wife's clubs and swimming clubs and everything. I have no idea, he said, but leave it with me. Um, and out of the blue, uh, July, 1987, hmm. um, I receive a postal order. I was a little bit gutted because I had to leave Hong Kong and all the wonderful money that we'd managed to save there. Um, and I got posted to Colchester. And just before we go, move to Colchester then, again, in, in Hong Kong, it's similar to Germany. You're getting your money, but you're able to save. You're, there's no yeah. loads going out type thing. And well, you know, I, you know, it's the same It's the same scenario, Ronnie. You're living in a in a, in a military-funded um, house. Mm. You pay for your uh, fuel and electric, so you pay the air conditioning, which you need in Hong Kong, because uh, it's very, very hot. Um, you pay for your food, which is relatively cheap. As we went on in life, we were. I was. I found myself eating anything off the streets, off the market, anything. In fact, when my when your grand and granda were there, there was a there was a cholera warning, and uh, I had to take. I also remember having to take Stuart and my mother to um, to the British military hospital to get their injections. And Stuart says, "I'm ex military. I don't need to get this done." I says, "No, you do need to get this done." Uh, let me just quickly say, Ronnie, he felt wonderful in that military environment. Mm. Because being an ex, being a Royal Engineer as a National Serviceman, as a sapper, for me to take him into the science mess, he loved it. Yeah, um, I I always and I, I've said this, um, I've said this over the past few years for varying reasons to people, but I, I always wish that maybe asked more questions growing up about things. But I always thought that for right or wrongly. Certainly myself, I felt it, and possibly my sister to a little extent, as we were shielded an awful lot. But again, maybe never asked. Now, 
you still can't shut me up really but I, I probably wasn't I wasn't asking questions because what I knew and then when you hear things and like we'd go to your house which we'll mention when you come out and stuff but you'd have an army photo up of course you would yeah yeah you go grand she'd have a photo yeah, of yeah. in the army and all that and I, rem- I remember grand is saying you know that was me once that was me and I th- he, he was humouring you but then when I found out he was in the Royal was Engineers and stuff like that because I always um, I always knew him as like a teacher and you know stuff like yeah, that yeah. but to be to have that background I was and I I, I kind of probably I've looked at more in the last couple of years I'm glad I've never I never spoke more about it just yeah. to find out because he, he, he was always I mean he always used to say that was me that was me. and I just believed that absolutely <laughs> absolutely you know and, and and he was able to I could engage him on a different level yeah. with him uh, when I became a sergeant, he was so happy for me, you know, um, and and then it was that was going to improve significantly. I got posted back to Colchester as a staff sergeant. How did you? How did you? Do you remember that? Was it just? Oh, I, I love Hong Kong and it's Colchester. Colchester. I remember saying to saying to my wife, "I've got a poster. Where are we going? We're going to Essex. Oh, Essex. Where about in Essex? I says, well, it's almost Essex. It's Colchester." <laughs> Isn't that where the military prison is? I said, it is indeed. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to, but again, Ronnie, somebody shines a light on you. Yep. I'm going to one squadron, Royal Corps Transport. That is the premier squadron in my corps. And we always believe only the best got it. And I went there as a staff sergeant. And and now I'm very proud again. I've got a, my military house on a, a relatively okay estate. I've got kids that are getting a bit older now and getting up to mischief, you know, especially my son, you know, climbing trees and falling out and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but I'd only been in the in the squadron two weeks and we got an emergency tour to Cyprus with the UN. Um, and and that was, uh, and you know, you see what I put on Facebook, I comment about, you know, I spent six months there and I got a medal. But when you actually put in a perspective why we were there, and this is shielded from all these wonderful, all these tourists and holidaymakers, because we're sat in Nicosia, and let's not forget the Turkish invaded Cyprus. You know, came in by airborne, airborne assault, and just took over Cyprus. So, so we went there for six months. A fairly tough going, I've got to say, but I mean, a wonderful place to serve. But again, we're now back into really draconian type conditions. No air conditioning. We're in, we're in prefabricated Nissan huts. It was unbelievable. And I'm talking about rats that are probably bigger than I see a dog in Dundee. You know, horrific. And you're going and again, just to, you know, you went, you've done the Germany thing. You've went and had a real good life, live, life of living. That you know, way of living in Hong Kong. Two weeks in Colchester, you're. I'm on my way to. to I'm in Cyprus now. Yeah. On a UN tour, did so. it really? Did it? Did it? Was it maybe slightly a wake up call for you? Go, wait a minute, completely. we're back to the yeah, completely. Yeah. I'm back in the real world again. You know, having just served a tour with the Gurkhas, which I felt very privileged to to, to do. Um, to now find myself in in Cyprus and and things are changing in the world, and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? You know, um, so six months into that, and you know. Again, the camaraderie becomes very good. I meet up with guys that I joined up with. And Does that get you through a lot of the yeah. times? I mean, I know it's it's one of those cliche things, oh, I'm glad I was there with so-and-so, but I honestly, things like morale and stuff, and you know what? It could be as simple as it's chucking it down the rain outside, you're having a stinker of a day, you can have a laugh with your mate, and it sorts you out. 
in those times, which I'm not relating to sitting in the pouring rain, but you are seeing the worst of things, conditions are horrible, but at least spirits are up as yeah, much as know, they can be. Uh, you always you always get a bestie um, in the military. You get lots of, lots of acquaintances, um, but you get some good mates. And uh, the guy I've just been out uh, visiting, I uh, was over in Thailand a few weeks ago, um, he's my best mate. And, and him and I, we've come through thick and thin together. We'd no money in Cyprus, you know, because we are a family in UK to support. We used to draw £32 a month on it. Um, that's not a lot of cash, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm only going back to, oh, yeah, I suppose the late 80s, right enough, but it's a long time ago, but it was no money. So him and I would just sit in my room at night and mope to each other, you know, and just complain about life. And, you know, but I said, Bill, why are we doing this all the time? We go, Let's do something different. He said, we've got no money. I said, we don't need money. So we just found ourselves, we just made the most of it. And you know, and like everything, and we we had some hairy moments in and uh, during the UN tour, you know, when the Turkish opened fire for no apparent reason on the on the separates, and we're sort of sat in the middle on the blue line. It's just it's a bit bizarre actually. Mm. Um, but the last for six months, mine was over the hottest period. It was unbelievably hot there with no air conditioning, um, and then back to Colchester, and and you go back, you go back then from all that into family life because I'm assuming is there much is there much sort of communication between home back well, then late uh, 80s of course we've got no phone we've got no mobile phones running I've, exactly. got, I've got no I've got no messenger or whatsapp so my 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 conversation with my wife was if if I paid my bill previously I got a call on a Sunday at a special time to mm. phone to phone my house in the UK and it lasts for three minutes um, and that, that's it that's it and, and writing letters has never been a forte of mine, although I had to do it. Mm. Uh, I got pretty homesick on the on the last UN tour I'd done. It was uh, it was tough. Kids were getting older, and I just felt, you know, wow, what am I doing here? So when we got back to back to the UK, back to the squadron, I handed my notice in and said, I'm leaving the military. Oh, did you? Um, eleven year point. I've done eleven years. I'm a staff sergeant. I'm out. Um, I went and saw my boss and I said, I've heard it, I'm out. He said, you need your head reading. I said, <laughs> yeah, maybe, sir, but I've heard it. He says, look, staff, go home and think about it. Or, in fact, a better idea, meet me tonight in the pub and let's have a beer. So away I went and met him. Um, and I said, no, you're not changing my mind, I'm going. He said, okay, I support you. Form went in. Three or four weeks later, I thought, "What have you done here? What have you done?" Because you're still to... serving at the time. Yeah, I've got, I've got no house. Um, uh, you know, it was just one of these spur of the moment, ridiculous decisions that I took. Was it Cyprus that done that? Cyprus done it, and uh, I had this great vision, Ronnie. I was going to join the UN proper. I wanted to be an envoy in the United Nations. I felt that I had the right characteristics, the right background to go and help people, because that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. And being with the UN, that affords you that great opportunity. Um, so that's what I wanted to do. And when the notice goes in, as, as we would call it, was it, were you close to your 12 year? Were you there? Were you? I, yeah, I'd, I'm on nine, I've got nine months to go on be, it. But you're slightly off plan. I'm off plan. more spur of the moment. I'm thing. completely off plan. My mate Billy said, Billy Billy said to me, 
you're mental. He said, but if you're doing it, I'm doing the same. I'm going to resist. I said, no, hang on a minute. He said, no, we came together. We'll go together. I said, no, let's not be, let's don't do, let's not do that. I said, I'm going to withdraw mine. But of course, when you go to withdraw, they can refuse you. <laughs> I, I I knew the rules and I went and said to the boss, I could you sign that? He says, what's that stuff? I said, I'm withdrawing my notice. Uh-huh. Maybe, he says. Let me talk to the record office in, in Glasgow. Um, the rest history. Uh, my notice was withdrawn. Our big promotion board sat and I'm selected for warrant officer class two promotion. Uh, me and my mate Billis together. So we're now on par again. I think we had a little bit of a hiccup. Mm -hmm. He got he spent a few, he spent a few weeks in courtesy of uh, Her Majesty's Armed Forces Prison Service um, for being a bad lad. But we'd sort of caught up, so we're back on par now. And uh, so there we are as new, brand new warrant officers. Where am I going to go? And you would not believe where they put me. Where did you end up? Back to the navy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they sent me back into the port regiment because at the time that that regiment, of course, the army's moved on now, Ronnie. Mm -hmm. You know, people are getting a bit wiser. Do we need all this deterrent that we've got? Do we need this armed force to be so big? Let's make people redundant. Let's not let people sign on, all that sort of stuff. So I find myself as a very young one officer class two in the middle of Marchwood Military Port in Southampton. And the CEO said to me, write the establishment, what do we need to run this port? Come again? <laughs> so that was my assignment, and I replaced a guy who, who went on to be very, very successful in the military. He left as lieutenant colonel. Um, I replaced him. I had a big, had a big shoes to fill, Ronnie. Mm. And, and, and I was really out my depth, I've got to tell you. I was out my depth completely. Um, when, you, when you get stationed there, is that... Uh, have they have they specifically picked you to go and do that role? Yeah, and there's obviously a thinking behind them. Yeah, is it kind of sink or swim? Yeah, is that what they're thinking. I think their view was he's got a, he's now got a very broad because we're managed by career management boards that sit in the Ministry of Defence in London. So you get a general at one officer level, a general or a brigadier will 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 select these people. Now, they don't know me personally, so they can only select me on, on what they call a confidential report. Mm. So so they're looking at me saying, well, look, this guy's done the maritime bit. We then put him to the RAF because he had something a bit special. Then we put him back into his own regiment and punished him with a few other rounds. Then we gave him Hong Kong. Then you've put him to Colchester. Then we put him to Colchester, getting ready to go on a UN tour into Cyprus. He's done that successfully. There, none though. He put his notice in to terminate. Then he withdrew it. So then he was selected for promotion on this board. He's going to Marchwood to write to do that job, mm. um, and he will succeed. Uh, so how did it go? I succeeded. Um, it was it was tough for me. I really, I probably at that point thought maybe you're just not as smart as you think you are. You know. Maybe you should have listened to that guy at Curtin High School when he was, you know, maybe you should have read a book or something. Was it the biggest test then for you in yeah. your career at that point? Now I've been hit with, a, you know, I'm now at the 12, 13, 14, 15 year point of my okay, military right. career. And Near 1990 now, in the 90s probably? Yeah, we're at uh, 90, yeah, round about yeah. there. Um, 
and 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 the guy I worked for was a, a guy called Colonel Brian Morris, who was a just a fantastic guy. And I went and said to him one night, I said, Colonel, I need ten minutes of your time. He said, Mister Yorton, why don't you come up to my house for dinner this evening? Bring your wife along and bring that establishment file with you. And I said, do you mind? He said, if I minded, I wouldn't invite you. I mm. said, okay, fair enough. So we went and we went into his house and we, uh, he was just a lovely guy, Ronnie, you know. And I said, look, there's what I've done. There's what I think we need. I think we can save X million by doing this. I think we need to re increase the manpower, but reduce that. And, and I gave him all these what-if scenarios. He said, what are you worried about? When are you going to submit it? I said, well, that's the next problem. Because I know you now need to prepare. You, you, you know, you're in the selling industry yep. now. Yeah, totally. I'm trying to prepare a document fit to go in front of a Ministry of Defence Establishment Committee. Mm -hmm. That's no mean feat when you're on, okay, I've got a team of people that work for me, but they're not me. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and I worked on this and I got it all prepared and I submitted it and then I sat back and I worried. Every day of my life, I worried, Ronnie. And then, so from you, you've got to there. So essentially, you've been on the battlefield as far. Yep. You now sat in an office I'm doing this as a as a military planner. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get in this new role that you yep. you know you've been selected for. You yep. spent ninety percent of the time worried about it. Yep. When you submit it, what happens? I wait. It goes before the uh, the parliamentary. Under Secretary of State for Defence, um, and then it's got to be approved by the Defence The Defence Secretary at the time was uh, Michael Paltillo, Paltillo, the the Tory guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I put it in, and I knew that I, I had the timetable in front of the committee Monday, uh, assessment Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, decision Friday. It's a long so, week. It's a long week, Ronnie. And uh, in them days, of course, we don't have emails. There's, there is no emails. Um, I got a phone call on the Friday. Uh, Mr. Yorshin, there's a fax here for the CEO and it's highly confidential. Someone's going to have to come and sign for it as I'm on my way. I had a push bike and I belted my way up to this comm send and I, I got this thing and it was personal for the CEO and I thought, well, I, I'm not going to be naughty. I'm not going to open this. So I uh, hopped into an office up where near the comm send was. I said, ah, oh, Colonel, you're around. He said, ah, oh. I said, I've got a personal signal for you from uh, the establishment committee. He said, well... Open it, you fool. Open it. So, so I opened this I opened this email and basically our establishment had gone through first time. So so that's the huge tick in the box yeah, for Yorston. Totally. That, a massive tick for me. Totally. Um and and he he was worried for for, for, for both of us, you know. Yeah. Because, I think because he puts his confidence in you as well, you know, and it's getting away from, you know, was he really confident or was he paying you lip service? But I think he was Confident, healthy, yeah. said, and I, I, I mean, you'll be able to say more, but I think if you're in that position, you have to be honest. If he thinks what you've gave him is a load of rubbish, he has to tell you that's a load of rubbish. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, um, I, but on the other hand, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if he just done that to humour me, possibly, because, yeah, because he really doesn't care. He's near the end of his time. Yeah, he'll never command again. It's no skin off his nose. Yeah. But actually, to see that man's face when we got that establishment approved. And incidentally, that establishment that I wrote is still the one that's in force now. Oh, so that's yeah. some mean feat. Mm -hmm. um, and conveniently, right off the back of that, he had to write me a confidential report. 
Um, so I'm now, I've been there a year. Uh, he pulls me in for my confidential report. You're an outstanding warrant officer, Mr. Yorston, and you're now ready for the big warrant officer job, the big WO1 badge. Uh, I said, well, I don't know about that, sir. He says, well, let's wait and see. Uh, he called me about three months. I forgot. I didn't forget about it. I knew, I always know what was going on. He called me, he said, you're on the board, you've been selected. So I found myself, I'm now at the top of my tree. I can go no further. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a 34-year-old warrant officer class one. Mm -hmm. That's young. I wasn't the youngest. A guy beat me by 19 days. Um, but I'm one of the youngest my corps has ever had. Mm -hmm. And I found myself doing, a, a, again, another hand-picked job they made me the inspecting officer for all the military units in the Royal Corps of Transport. So I travelled far and wide, um, turned up, knocked on the door and said, I don't like the look of this unit, sort it, and all that sort of nonsense. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a fantastic job. But again, Ronnie, you're, in, you're really in the firing line because everybody knew me. You know, you've I, got a lot of responsibility as well. I've got a lot of responsibility. I still need to jump in and out of Northern Ireland. Of course, then the Gulf War One was getting ready to kick, um, and, and I kind of found myself thinking to myself here, I've got to get this right. You know, I'm going. My job was to go and inspect units that were getting ready to be, to be deployed into Saudi Arabia. Oh, hello! This is new for us. Mm. Um, and, and by, again, by, by the shining light, if you like, uh, I was told that I was going to Saudi Arabia and I was going to look after it. So, so I'm now a W01 running about in a suit thinking I'm fantastic to be sat in a trench in Saudi Arabia incoming from, from the war with Iraq. Um, that was a bit of another eye-opener, uh, you know, to find. But again, your experience starts to come through then. You know, nothing phased me, Ron. Nothing phased me. Because it's, be, it's been so long, but I think, you know, it probably doesn't take you long to get back into that way of things. Yeah, you think now, I'm a 16-year serving soldier, 16, 17 years. So, so my career, they, people know that, okay, I'm, he's a young W01, but they know that where I've been, they know I've done the jobs. Mm. So people were always a little bit hesitant to make any comment. What was it like going there then in the 90s? What, in Saudi? Yeah. Uh, well, we landed in uh, Riyadh, uh, in the centre of Riyadh, because, you know, I know Saudi quite well. Uh, we landed in what is now a, a private airfield. Um, big Hercules aeroplanes from UK were piling in. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and then all the military vehicles came off and we drove in convoy from uh, Riyadh to Al Jabil. Uh, it was about a seven-hour transit time. Um, and the roads are not what they are now. We're talking about going through desert roads, you know. I've been through the desert with a horse and on in, that sort of stuff. And it was really horrific. And we created the biggest tented camp since the Second World War in Al Jabil. And you mentioned the, the heat in uh Cyprus, it must have been um, ridiculous. Was, yeah, but we're January, February, March time, uh, so Toast. Saudi's not toasting by then. Um, but it was tough. And, of course, you, we weren't there on holiday because Mr Saddam Hussein from Iraq decided he was going to nick everybody's oil, so he invaded Kuwait. He didn't, I don't think he bargained for what was going to come and get him, you know. Um and that was really, uh, uh, you know, that was, a, a, again, it's another operational tour. And 
I met a lot of Saudis, and I, I thought, I quite like it here, really. You know, although it was quite bizarre. The, the, when I sit and look back, funny enough, I was in Al Jabal about three months ago at the very same spot. It now has a four-star hotel star on it. <laughs> um, looking on the sea, because that's where we were. Yeah. So so that was uh, that was quite worrying, the Saddam Hussein uh, era in, in Saudi was a little bit concerning. Um, and how long were you there for? Uh, 91 days. To okay. be precise, um, because something else happened to me then. Then when I was in Saudi Arabia on this tour, then s s the military decided they were going to make me a captain. So uh, because, and again, I, I, I seem to get the timing right of these reports. So I'd only been a W01 for 16 months and I didn't really want to be commissioned, if that makes any sense, because I enjoyed my job. Yeah. And this is what they call, they say it's the best rank in the British Army, because you're top of the tree, nobody can say anything to you. <laughs> then to find myself as a young captain, uh, no, as an old, an older young captain, um, was a bit of a culture shock for me. Yeah. So uh, you do you then leave Saudi <coughs> and then take that role, or does that...? No, no, it didn't happen in Saudi. They they, they brought us all back. I reverted into my role in uh, the Ministry of Defence right, okay. in London as a warrant officer class one. Um, and I worked for uh, I worked for a brigadier whose name escapes me. He told me I'd been commissioned, and he said, "Now we need to find the right job for you." Um, and and the normal sort of career path for a, what the class is a late entry officer. Bear in mind, Ronnie, I don't have an O level. No, no, uh, I've got nothing. <laughs> and the normal the normal run of the line is that. They send us off to Sandhurst, which was quite interesting for me. Off I go to the officer training school, which was quite bizarre. You know, showing the tattoos that were homemade in Curtin, you know, as a kid. Um, quite funny. Uh, and, and then to be to be fronting up to these young Ruperts that are proper officers in, you know, in the cavalry regiment. And the first guy I bumped into was Prince Andrew, actually, because uh, he just split from uh, Sarah Ferguson. Hmm. He, of course, was a lieutenant, a lieutenant in the Royal Navy at the time. Maybe Lieutenant Commander, I'm not sure, but they just split up, and he'd moved into the to the one officer to the officers' mess in Sandhurst, and there was a big sign outside his door that said, "The world's most eligible bachelor lives here," <laughs> and he's the first guy I bumped into in the officers' mess. Yeah. I went in there for breakfast. I was very nervous. I'm a young captain, you know. So but, are you there? Are you there? For training, or are you there to work? What's no, I'm your... I'm there to be inducted to be an officer. Okay. So what it takes the the proper officers eighteen months, they're going to do it to me in four weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, we used to call it the knife, fork, and spoon course, and and that's where they induct you to behave. Okay. Allegedly. <laughs> um, and I met this 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 guy, and I thought I knew who he was. I said, I'm sure I know you. You know. Right. And we started, and he laughed, and we, we you know, and I sort of passed the time of day with him. I said, but there again, I'm reading the sun, so you don't want to talk to me. And he just burst out laughing again. <laughs> and then as time went on, when I did see him in the mess at night, he he'd not, none of this personal protection. He was a, a an officer in the Royal Navy. Um, had a few beers, just a nice guy, you yeah. know. Um, and and then I and then I uh, at the end of that, you then uh, then it becomes a little bit strange because you're now at the bottom of the pile. So I'm at the bottom of the pile as an army captain and uh, I had to watch where they're going to put me, you know. The normal run of the mill was you became an administration officer for a, well, I'd done that. Or you became a transport control officer. Well, I didn't really want to do that. 
or you became the guy responsible for the boots, the bullets and the barbed wire. I didn't really want to do that. So, and I made that known to everyone. So what they done with me was they sent me no qualifications and sent me to university and I'd done what they called the um, the junior the, the junior division of the Army Staff College. And I'm mixing with these guys, these, these proper officers, these young Ruperts. And there's me, tattoos in tow, you know, smoking a fag, berry on the back of my head. I really do, and again, Ronnie, I'm totally out of my depth. Yeah. Uh, and I mean this, and 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 I I never I never boast about this in my military career. I tell the truth. It was tough writing how to write a battle plan. How I mean, I can't do that because mm -hmm. my intellect is not good enough to understand the theory of battle. And it's especially when the way the journeys went to then go into there. Yeah, quite despite being. I mean, you're t you're technically by position, you're on the same level as them. I'm senior to them, but. You are below them in terms of what you're... No, yeah, they're, you, they're clever guys. Yeah. They're educated guys. So, Daddy so, was a cavalry general or something. So you what know? did you have to do? Did you just... I had to join... And to how jo hard was it? Uh, very hard. Mm. Uh, it, for me, it was six months of turmoil in my life. Um, I went to the Army Staff College. Uh, Ronnie, have I told you I, I studied 24 hours a day? I would not be telling you a lie mm. because I was the first first late entry officer to do it. So it had never been tried on oiks from West Curtain before. It had mm. always been those that had come through Oxford or Cambridge or whatever. Mm. And there's me now trying to be to be trained to be an army staff officer. Uh, a lot of stuff I was quite good at. Uh, I'm quite good at writing. I'm, my written English is very, I think it's very good. I, I, I can talk well enough. But Ronnie, I don't understand the concept of battle. Mm. That's not my bag. Yeah. Um, so that was a big eye opener. Yes. So, so you get you you get through it, or you're working through it. What what's then, or are you at any point just questioning why? what's next or why yeah. or? Uh, it was it was quite good actually. The guy that looked after us late entry officers was a late entry officer, and I, and I rang this guy and I said, "Look, Colonel, why have you put me here?" He said, Jim, there's a very good reason. You you are staff officer material. There's no question about it. You've got a great experience of the military. And from, you know, and I'm not talking about just the army. I'm talking about the tri-service. I see you as a staff, staff officer grade one someday, sometime. I said, well, Colonel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bout your superior knowledge, but it ain't for me, I've got to tell you. He said, is it tough? I said, it's horrible. Um, so anyway, you know, six months into it, we had the big examinations and uh, then they, and the way they do it, it's like, uh, because it's a big, big thing for these young Ruperts. They've got to have that before they can progress in their career. So they've been in the army probably six years, highly educated. I appear as a 16, 17 year old soldier, you know, tattoos in the sun and, and, I've got to get. I've got to get through this, and I was amazed when I got a B grading. I was amazed, Ronnie. Uh, you know, and it was just hard work and dedication because mm -hmm. I was not an educated kid, so I threw more on fault. Um, so I was delighted when I passed it. So where does that then take you? Well, interesting. So they. So what did they do with me? They actually done a bit of a dirty on me. They posted me into London, into main building 
which is the MOD main building, as a as a what we call the Bowler Hat Brigade. Uh, so a three-piece pinstripe suit out of G's and Hawks in London, walk about with an umbrella and a bowler hat on on a Sunday, and and put me in as a as a staff officer. Um, and the the job that I had was I was responsible for the manning for the whole of the British Army. So my my job entailed I had to go to all these recruit camps and say right this week I want forty recruits, twenty recruits, thirty recruits, and just to keep the numbers going because mm. it then became very clear to me. This is nothing more than a numbers game you're doing, my friend. Um, but again, I gave it everything I could. But that's where I probably encountered my first problem in my military life. I worked for a guy, a, a full colonel, who we'd crossed paths previously. And there's always something comes around to bite you in the back end. Well, the bite was there. He was my boss. Um, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, he said, ah, wonderful to see you, Jim. Now, Jim, uh, we sort of start here at 7.30 and we kind of leave when the job's done. I said, well, you might do, Colonel. I'm a late entry captain. I don't need to do that. Uh-huh. So my card was marked, Ronnie, from day yep. one. Day one. Uh, day one, card marked. Done a good job from, got an okay report. Then I moved within the Ministry of Defence and into various staff jobs, as they said I would. So this year I'm at the 21, 22. I'm nearing the end of my military career now. Uh, I got picked up the Long Service and Good Conduct Medal, which was good. We used to call it Long Service and Undetected Crime, so that was good. I had that in the bag. Um, and then I decided I'd hit the 22-year point. I've had it. I'm going. So, But that's brought you up to 1995-ish. Five? Yeah. I mean, it's a long... Long time. Long sort of time. Did, did you mull over at the time, or was it a case of... Just over the time of doing these wee jobs, you, you just thought, I'm, I'm kind of done. And did you actually have a plan of what you do next? Uh, I had a good plan. Um, it didn't work, but I, but I had a plan. Uh, given my time again, Ronnie, I would have done probably another five years. Um, for for a number of personal reasons. I, uh, and that got you probably to what? 40 year old close no I was cl- I was sort of close I was touching okay. the 40 year right. point anyway so yeah I was I was very close to that anyway um I knew I was leaving on a on a decent pension I knew I'd sort of achieved the pinnacle not the pinnacle but I'd gone as a private left as a captain hey that's okay mate mm. you know when, when you put the when you decide to go What's kind of what's the roadmap from when you put it in that signed off to you leaving? Well, they put you, know? you on a set on a series of resettlement because they're worried. You know, you're an ex, you're, you're a military officer. They don't want you going into the civilian world bad mouthing the army. So they they send you on a number of briefings. For me, what I'd done was I said, "Look, thanks very much for the offer. I'll take six months at home and I'll do my resettlement there." <laughs> and that's what I'd done. Yeah. Uh, I went and found myself a job. Um, funny enough, I went to a military job in Dunfermline as a, what they called as a, they called it a non, uh, non-regular military job. Mm-hmm. So I turned up in Dunfermline back as I put my uniform on again, but I'm a civilian this time. 
and I went and ran the TA, um, which was a great job. Mm. Took took uh, your guy and granddad across there to regimental down rights. He's, I mean, he loved it. Yeah. The pomp and ceremony and, you know, of course, I'm a retired cop now, but still got the seniority and the same, all that pomp that goes with it was fantastic. Done that for another three or four years, and then I thought, you know what, now I'm really done. Mm. I'm out. I'm going to find a job. Because um, you're obviously, you. I mean, at what stage then do you... Did you settle up here, like to buy the house up here? And, well, I bought because you were you were still working down south. Yeah, yeah. I'd bought the house in uh, up in Lethem yeah. uh, when I was still in Marchwood in Southampton. Okay. So, so, so for my W one onwards career, uh, wife and kids are engrossed in Lethem. Yeah. Angus. So you done that? Yeah. And you just sort and of I, went down it. Yeah, because because of course you know I, I couldn't have bought that again the timing of buying that house impeccable because then the Gulf War started and all that nonsense and a lot of separation and a lot of so so yeah my my decision was made I'd sort of got my roots now mm -hmm. that's me I'm done yeah and so when you when the TA thing was it just I, I, I'm just done with the military which you've always, I mean at the end of the day you. Clearly, from what we've chatted about, the memories are really fond, despite the wee setbacks. Yeah, oh yeah. But then, was it? Uh, you just thought, I just, I just. I, I mean, was there any point you just thought you wouldn't work again? Or no, were you, you still. There was still no. plenty of years. Yeah, I mean, I had a very clear strategy in my head. I, you know, I looked around the civilian world and I thought, hey, I can do a lot of these jobs. Mm. And uh, while I was actually in that TA job, I uh, was approached by Manchester Airport because that's where I went. And I worked there for seven years as the general services manager, mm. straight from the military into that. And is that, that's from the, when you go, when you, you go to the officer side of the job that gets you into these jobs and the jobs yeah. you're doing now. Yeah. It's that, it's done it. Because like you said, you went into the army, you, you couldn't, you couldn't, you didn't learn to really r learn the English as a qualification, you Not know, self-taught and stuff. So Not at all, Ronnie, you know, and, and you know, a lot of people like me. Um, you know, and, and Manchester Airport, I was working for an ex-military guy who was the boss, so great help. But mm -hmm. to be fair, I'd done a good job there. We I got them to be the world's best airport twice, increased passenger numbers by millions, um, brought the virgins in, bought the Richard, sat with Richard Branson many a time at a dinner night there and, and he was just so proud of what we're doing for his airline, all that sort of good stuff. But then you've got to move on, haven't you? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I kind of moved around after, after the Manchester Airport job, I kind of moved around doing similar jobs in the UK, um, became the MD of a big company in London, uh, didn't end too well for me. So I thought, time for me to do something else. You may recall my son was quite sick. Um, so I took a bit of time out with him, uh, which was a tough time for, for me and his mother, mm -hmm. to be fair. Um, got him sort of semi-nursed back to health. And hey, I've got to find a job. So whether I do, I picked up the phone, phoned a few old military contacts. Okay, Jim, you're on the plane to Afghanistan tomorrow. Pardon? <laughs> so off I went in Afghanistan, I now find myself as a civilian contractor doing the same job as I done in the military 10 years previous. Yeah. So i done that, money was good, um, horrific conditions running in danger at every corner. Danger. And like you say, was it, was it 
to a, to a le- to a different degree, but just like being back in the army. Yeah, but it was with the, the danger. With the, the, it was worse now because I had no protection only myself. Yeah, well. You know, at least in the military, I wore a green uniform and a huge big lump of iron <laughs> at the side of me, and you know, it was just a different ball game. And and nicely for me, I met up with my old pal Billis again, the guy that sort of kept popping up everywhere. Um, I brought him into Afghanistan to work for me. He ran the airport. I ran the camp services. Uh, money was good, but it was for me. It was just too much stress. Mm. Um, done a few tours, and then I was sat in a pub in uh, Dubai. No, I tell a lie. I got pulled for a drugs test in Dubai. Uh, Christmas. I don't know what Christmas it was. A good few years ago now. And they found that I was a diabetic and I was not aware I was a diabetic. And they stuck me in this clinic in Dubai. They wouldn't let me fly until they'd stabled this um, this di- diabetes thing down. Um, and they said, but you're quite free to go and come but come back to the clinic every night. And I was in a pub in Dubai and I met, uh, met the guy that I currently work with now. <laughs> and he said to me, why don't you join me then? Mm-hmm. And that's... I don't know, 10 years ago now, eight years, nine years ago now. Yeah. And I run that international business. Um, and all of that, in terms of, you know, you're getting into the the business side of it. Do you know, find it amazing that, again, just going from being that, you know, being that guy that went to the Royal Navy and then jacks it in and then goes to the army and then just through... Getting the, you know, pushing for promotions in the yeah, army yeah. a little bit, but going into total different. Because I think when a lot of people think about the army and you say, oh, I'm a captain in the army, I never think of you sitting in an office writing, writing, reading, taking meetings. You never think of that. No, you know, no. you, I think in some people in their heads, it's sat at a table with a map on and you're drawing in where the tanks are yeah, going yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but to now look at where you are and where you've been, and like you said, and Ash looks obviously you work abroad, uh, stuff like that. Any time you just think, if you ever stayed in, you know, Ronnie, um, I I worked at one point for a, a retired brigadier, and uh, I said to him, uh, I often wonder, brigadier, how actually I put it a different way. I, I said to him, how good would I have been as a civilian? had I left the army earlier, he said, you wouldn't be sat here. That's the first thing. I said, okay, I get that. What if I'd stayed in longer? He says, your time was out. You'd done what you had to achieve in a relatively compact period of time. Mm. Excuse me, you'd done a number, you'd done all the right jobs, all the right ticks, all the right conflicts, all, you know, you'd done everything. So, why would we not commission you as as a as as as, a, as an organisation? We give you the Queen's commission. We can't take that back from you unless you go to for a period of imprisonment. We've got the right to withdraw. It. Mm. Okay. Um, so why would you stay any longer? Yeah. My suggestion and my recommend. Uh, let me tell you what I think, Jim, would have happened. I think you would have fell foul of someone because the more confident and cocky you got as you you were now in that officer's mess with that late entry tag I think it could have been a bit nasty and you mm. might have turned the wrong way on somebody so I said no it's a fair shout mm. so yeah how do you sum up your career when you look, when you, if you ever I mean obviously we've looked back at going through it but if someone someone was to meet you 
someone you work with now or a new employee and you get chatting about it, how do you sum it up? Uh, Ronnie, I miss the military. Um, I, I, and really, I, you know, I get, I'm quite emotionally attached to it. Uh, we're losing a lot of guys now. Guys in my vintage are dropping all the time mm. now and, and that's that's quite a tough one to swallow. I sum my military career up as I think I gave good service to the Queen. I think in return she looked after me or the, the organisation looked after me. But they don't look after everybody. You've got to fight continually. And now I'm very involved in, in Help for Heroes and... You know, because, you know, the veterans are not getting, they're getting a tough deal nowadays. You know, you work in radio, you know what's going on out there. We we don't do enough for them, you know. You know, to have a guy serving 22 years and he's now living in a, in a tent at the corner of it, it's not right. And for, for that, if 16-year-old you sat here, yeah. what advice do you give him after your career? My advice would be if... Uh, if you feel that you you've got a, a desire to be a success and you've got the you've got a big enough pair of balls to do something, well, go and do it. And and you know, it's tough. It's it's it can be very lonely. I mean, I'm a loner, Ronnie. Uh, but I've got to say, you're a bit like that. Hey, uh, it's a it's a good life. I, my mother's a bit like it. that. My yeah. son's a bit like that. Yeah. I like my own space, Ronnie. Same. Um, but you know, it's always nice for somebody to knock on my door and say, how are you doing, mate? Mm -hmm. Because uh, internet and, and social media platforms have made that so much easier now. Yeah, totally. And we can talk to anybody worldwide, and I do it every day. Mm -hmm. um, my advice would be, if you think you've got a big enough pair of balls, son, go and do it. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I would love to, you know, you know when I finally retire, Ronnie, and I hang up my passport, because that's what I'll be doing, I want to get involved in some way, whether that be helping kids or, or, you know, maybe get involved in the children's panel. I don't know, but try and put kids on that right road. Because let me tell you, if it wasn't for somebody, I was on the wrong side of that road. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's a very fine line. And you look back... At the, back in the Dales, back yeah, in the day. the good old Dales. Yeah, and, and to now... You know, and I, I imagine you'd give the same message to the 16-year-old that knocks on the door and says, I'm thinking of joining the army. I've heard you were in there. Just go and do it. Absolutely. You know, and it, I think, like you see, you see, it taught you manners. It taught you appearance. It taught you respect. Yeah. And they are some stuff that sometimes society now, we fall away a little bit, a little bit, not everyone, but something like that, and I think people people can are for and against a lot of the shows. But you watch stuff like SAS. You yep. watch, that looks that for me. That's hard going. Yeah, I, I mean, was I, never I was never SAS, and I never claimed to be so. But uh, for the you know when you see the selection and just tough. the you know this has to be tidy, Absolutely. this has to be clean, your stuff has to be there. Absolutely, has, you know, and that's the same wherever you go. Yeah. And that and, and it's these wee lessons, but is it also the same? It's probably why a lot of people don't stay in. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people can't take it, Ronnie, and they do it for two reasons. They, you know, I I remember saying to a guy, "Why do you, sir? Why do you march me up the parade square, shout a lot of things, and make me turn round and march back?" He said, "I'll tell you why I do it, son. 
It's to enable you as an individual or as a body of men to obey a direct command. It's simple. Oh, I thought I never thought of like that. <laughs> so if I tell you all to jump in that ditch, you're all going to go together. And it's right, Ronnie. You know, and these little things still stick in my mind. I've got two of my ex-military colleagues working with me now. Um, and we, every day, every day without fail, we have a little bit of banter about it. And that's 40, oh, 45 years ago this year, I think. What have you taken... What have you taken out of your army career that helps you day to day and working life? And I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, my listen, I'm I'm very self disciplined. I'm still motivated. I know I've got to get out of my bed and go to work, whatever that might be. I'm a very creature of habit. I I prepare everything at night for the next morning, so I know where it is. Um, it taught me self-discipline. It taught me, you know, I've got to respect people, respect everybody, Ronnie. Race, creed, it doesn't matter to me. A lot of my good friends are the Muslim faith. A lot of them are Buddhists. It doesn't really matter to me, you know, but you've got to respect them all equally. And and I think that's probably that. And, and you know, it, the army showed me I could do something in my life. Um, I hate to think what would have happened if I'd stayed in Wisco. I really, I hate to think. Apart from getting bullied from your sisters. Apart from getting bullied from my sisters, um, <laughs> certainly the oldest one, you know, may she rest in peace is not around anymore. Mm. She was good fun. Uh, very, very good fun. Um, in them days, she was just a, you know, a very funny girl. And, uh, you know, but she, I remember her saying to me, see when you're in the army, could you buy me a, could you buy me a clock radio? Because in them days, Ronnie, it was such a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I um, <laughs> really. I, I mean, I remember obviously <clears throat> growing up, and it was tough, really tough. Up in Adler, you know, my um, Europe upbringing was tough, really tough, really tough. And you know what? I again, it sometimes is a little bit sheltered for everything, but obviously, I, you know, it was a single parent family for Absolutely. a very long time. Absolutely, you know, and uh, it was tough. And I, I actually, I told this, I told. What I'm about to say, I told this in work a couple of weeks back. One of the girls in work's got two wee ones, six and eight, maybe seven and nine. Sorry if I if totally aged them there. And I and and they and she was saying, you know, they go out to play all the time, but you know, I'm maybe not so much for them walking to school and everything. I'm saying, you know, I had a key for my house at seven years old because yeah. it was the only way it was. But you know what? And the same thing of at 13 years old. And I said this one in the previous podcast. It's thirteen years old. I was out working. In fact, I was out delivering papers. Yeah, we we all done that. We had to do that survival again. You know, and and even with a broken leg, I was delivering I remember, papers. I, uh, Ronnie, right? Ronnie, I remember that so well. So for for that, and you know, all these years later, that that work ethic my mum instilled in me, it's always stuck now regardless and I'm kind of like yourself I know when that alarm goes off I've got about 10 minutes and I need to be out here I need to be up and I need to be doing stuff and we all have that lazy moment but just that work ethic I mean we all want to sit in the house all week we, you know, you know, you know. Ronnie your your mother is, is 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 quite a bit younger than me but she she saw she saw what the life Mm-hmm. What what was in front of us at living in and where we lived at the time? Your mother decided to hop out of school and she went off and grafted in a watch factory. Yeah. And only to make dough. You know, simple as that. 
And then you came along, and then you, your mum became a, or the, 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 a single parent for a bit. Your mother had to keep you. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Now you remember these days. Yeah, and I, I mean, I remember, you know, on a Saturday morning going over to dad's or, or whatever, but coming back and I mind just being in the house on my own sometimes, you know, and I remember, I remember, you know, putting the postman pat toy in the microwave and turning it on and yeah, just I mean, to create a bit of... <laughs> what, you had a microwave? <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, and that was the thing, you know, I, 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 I've always said how lucky I was. Yeah, you were growing up and I always remember you know going and you know wanting to wanting to go in early because Santa had been I just and I remember when just, just and I was a right pain in the ass when I was away as well because I was a nightmare at school a nightmare you were a nightmare. You know, um, you know, and I said this on one of the other podcasts, you know, I had a behaviour sheet at school and the best result you got was satisfactory. <laughs> satisfactory, I mean, unbelievable. You know, and just everything like that. Not, it wasn't obviously military-led, but I think because mum fought for absolutely everything. Oh, yeah, and that's, she, she's a little tyrant and that's yeah. what she does. That's her, that's her DNA. Yeah. Um, and she never gives up. And, and that's, you know, that's what makes me so affectionately involved with her you know i mean because she is a she's a powerhouse i mean that's what i call her apart from when she's singing to you in new york yeah that but we don't even talk about that <laughs> and i'm certainly not going to talk about her on here but uh but no ronnie i think i think um people people can take the opportunity you don't it doesn't you make your own luck in life and i've made mine and i've had some knocks big knocks but hey i'll just keep going What's next for you then? How does the next couple of years pan out for you? Well, I want to retire, Ronnie. Um, I'm currently in my current, where I am at the moment, I'm a director of that business and I've made a commitment that I'll work, uh, my exit will start next year. Um, I want to get involved with uh, Help the Heroes and a bit of that. I'm currently writing a book that's, um, that's advanced, fairly advanced, that covers a lot of the stuff that we've been chatting about today because I think there's a story there. And I think it's people need to people need to tune in to what we are and what we did. And I think it's important. Yeah, I, I mean it's been a it's been great to hear the, the stories like this and get more of the, the journey, you know, when all I knew is my uncle was a captain in the, in the, the army. army. That's it, bust. You know, and that and um, that's what it was. You know, and f for yourself because you're always so driven you know you're not going to go and sit by no, the sea for, an, no, no, for no. a year or two you'll you always try and fill your time you know i want to do some i want to try and help some i want to try and help people as best i can ronnie and you know um a lot depends on the on the situation here in scotland um you know uh, i'll always be around here i'm I've, i'm very tied to here and my daughter's still here my son's in london but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hang hang the passport up. It ain't happening. Just in a working sense. Yeah, maybe just in a working sense, but I do. I've got a lot of things I still want to do. Jimmy Austin, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Ronnie. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it and leave a review or a rating. If you didn't, then let's never speak of it again. These are the days.